our eight-week series entitled Stride, Stepping Up, Stepping Out, and Keeping Pace as Fully Devoted Followers of Jesus Christ. Is, is it a little echoey? Is that just me? Does it sound okay out there? Okay, good. Excellent. Um, and we're, uh, so, so we're in the series Stride. We're, we're talking about being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. North Point's mission statement comes right out of the lips and words of Jesus about, about being a disciple and making disciples. And what we're all about as a church, what we're all about in our DNA at our very core is helping all people move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And we're unpacking that over eight weeks. And we're talking about what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that smell like? Last week we talked a little bit about following the leader. And we followed Jesus to a funeral, and that funeral was ours because we need to die to ourselves and our agenda and our purpose and our will if we're going to be an effective follower. And we talked about six requirements of following. Let me just touch on those very briefly before I dive into the message tonight because I'm excited about uh, tonight's message and uh, following Jesus into the closet. But last week we looked at six requirements for following. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. And we said that there are six requirements. Number one, attend your own funeral. Die to yourself, your agenda, your will, your program, and embrace the will of God and the plan of God and the kingdom of God and seek it first. So attend your own funeral. Increase your stride. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to have to increase our stride. And following Jesus is going to stretch us. And He's going to stretch us again tonight as we look at His example. Principle number three, change your direction. If you're going to follow in somebody else's footsteps, if you're going to follow the Master's footsteps, it's going to require us to take some left and some right turns. Principle number four, it requires focus and attention. Number five, maintaining close proximity. And number six, know this, you're never alone. Those are six requirements of following. Tonight I want to talk about following Jesus into the closet. Before I do that, think about any person who has achieved a pinnacle of success. You think of the business world, and maybe you think of names like Donald Trump or uh, Microsoft and <clears throat> that guy, Bill, what's his, what's his last name? Yeah, thank you. And uh, in the sports arena, whether it's uh, basketball, baseball, football, you think about those that are iconic figures that have achieved amazing success in golf, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, uh, Cabrera in the world of baseball. And there's, there's many names that we could list, and we could talk about many different fields, and people are always asking the question, what's your secret to success? Well, tonight I want to talk about keeping secrets as a key to success. And so many, many people that have achieved enviable success have been asked that question. What is your secret? I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a self-made millionaire. He's developed and sold multiple businesses. And... This was years ago, and there was a group of people that were forming, that were getting together, and they, they were wanting to be mentored by millionaires. And I was talking to this individual, I'll call his name Bob, that's not his real name, but I said, Bob, why don't you be a part of that? You are a multimillionaire. People could learn from you. And he laughed and he said, nobody wants to hear my secret. He said, my secret is, I worked 16 hours a day for 20 years. Nobody wants to hear my secret to success. And I say, you know, really, success is not a secret. It's, it's pretty simple. Those that have achieved extraordinary results have been deeply dedicated 
to doing the things that would take them in the direction of making them a success. And you can apply that to real estate, you can apply that to business, you can apply that to ministry, you can apply that to your spiritual life, you can apply that to your financial life. Take, for example, Tiger Woods. I was reading his daily routine. Now, Tiger Woods obviously is not a model morally. All right? So we're not talking about that side of life. But as, a, as, a, as an athlete, as a golfer, he's in another stratosphere. You know, in golf, you can be the number one ranked golfer and they, they change weekly. Because you can have bad rounds and, and, and you're no longer ranked number one. And many of, top, many of the top golfers cumulatively have been the top golfer for, for months. Some of them may be a year or more. That's extraordinary. Tiger Woods has been ranked number one cumulatively for multiple years. There's nobody that's even a close second. So you say, Tiger, what is? listen to his daily routine. He gets up at 6.30 in the morning, does one hour, one hour of intense cardio, endurance, sprints, and biking. At 7.30 in the morning, one hour of weight training, high reps, and multiple sets. At 8.30 in the morning, high-protein breakfast, low-fat, excuse me, high-protein, low-fat breakfast. 9 o'clock, two hours on the, on the range, hitting balls and tweaking his swing. 11 a.m., 30 to 60 minutes, practice putting. At noon, he plays nine holes. 1.30, he eats lunch, high-protein and veggies. 2 p.m., he does three hours on the course practicing, sometimes plays a second nine holes. At 6.30 p.m., he does 30 minutes of upper body weight training. And then at 7 p.m., he eats dinner and he rests. That's a 12 and a half to 13 hour routine that he does every day that he's not competing. And you say, Tiger, what's your secret to success? Well, really, success isn't a secret. It's that winners choose to do the things consistently that others only do occasionally. And so when we apply that to this principle of becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus tonight, we're going to look at three fundamental aspects of the life of Jesus Christ. They're basic. You know all three of them. They're basic. But they're foundational and they're fundamental. And can I just be transparent with you this evening? I thank God for this series. Because as I have delved into God's Word from, from the aspect of really looking with fresh eyes at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, because my highest purpose in life is to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And what does that mean? I can't tell you how challenged and encouraged and inspired I have been personally. And I stand before you as a preacher and a teacher of God's Word and tell you, nobody gets more out of the message than the preacher. Nobody does. And I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to serve a full meal tonight. But nobody gets more. Out of it. And I'll tell you what, I have been inspired by the example of Jesus. Now, we are going to look at secrets to success in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and follow Him right straight into the closet. What do I mean by that? I'm going to read. And if you have your Bibles and you want to read along, Matthew chapter six. I didn't put this up on the the screen. So forgive me for that. But I want to read Matthew chapter 6. It's a familiar chapter of Scripture. Jesus is he's in, a, in a monologue of teaching, actually multiple chapters. But some of his most famous words, 
he utters in Matthew chapter 6. And he talks about these three foundational elements that are critical to your success and to mine. He says in verse 1, Matthew chapter 6, Take care, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired, because then you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. He says in verse 2, When you give a gift to someone in need, don't shout about it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I assure you they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone, don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in secret, and your Father who knows all secrets will reward you. So he talks about secret giving. Next, verse 5, now about prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I assure you, this is all the reward they will ever get. Incidentally, Jesus mentions this word reward six times in this chapter. He says, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father secretly. Then your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think that their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. And then He gives us a model. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today. Forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Then verse 16, he says, and when you fast, so he talks about secret giving, he talks about secret praying, and now he's going to talk about fasting in secret. He says, when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, who try to look pale and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I assure you, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will suspect that you are fasting, except your Father, who knows what you do in secret, and your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. We could go on to read because the whole chapter we take as a whole, Jesus is talking about the same principles, but he, he says in verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where the moth and the rust are going to get to them. He says, but store up your treasure where? Store it up in heaven, right? Where thieves can't break in and steal. He says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So Jesus talks about three fundamental aspects, three disciplines of a Christ follower. Secret giving, secret praying, and secret fasting. Now, let me just pause and say this. These are three fundamental disciplines. But these three fundamental disciplines have created more hypocrisy and more legalism and more religion. See, Christianity isn't a religion, it's relationship. It's created more than probably any other three disciplines. So we have to stay in the center of the road on this issue as we talk about giving, praying, and fasting. These are critically important aspects to our success as Christ followers. So I want us to step back 
and take a deep breath because sometimes people read these things and they say, oh, these are three things that I know I should do. I'm not doing very well in these areas. And essentially, we live under a cloud of condemnation, of self-imposed guilt. We focus on what we're not doing. I want us to step back and, and, and take a different approach to, to these disciplines and rather than, than them being dry and dull and aspects of, of Christian duty, step back and say, you know what, Jesus Christ came that I might have life and that I might have it to the full. Now Jesus lived a pretty extraordinary life. Can you say amen to that? I mean, wow! And we are Christ followers. You see, this is an invitation into the world of Jesus Christ that are doors to an extraordinary life. And I want us to view giving and praying and fasting from that standpoint. This is an invitation to a life beyond anything we could have dreamed or imagined. These are doorways. These are pathways. These are secrets, if you will, that really aren't secret. So let's take each one of them, and in about eight minutes that I've got for each of these subjects, we're going to sprint through these three aspects. These are, this is the equivalent of, of climbing the three tallest mountains in one day. I mean, we're taking on Everest and K2, and I had to write down the name of the third one. I, I don't, I'm not even sure. Uh, Kanchenjunga. Did you know that? That's the third tallest mountain in the world. So we're going we're gonna to climb three mountains in about 15 minutes. How do you do that? You can't. We're just going to skip from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop as we talk about these three aspects. Why? Because we're learning to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. These are three elements that are indispensable, indisputable aspects of anyone who is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me tonight? Let's talk about, first of all, secret giving. Jesus talks about giving to the poor, and I love the language that He uses in verse 2. He doesn't say, if you give. He doesn't say, in verse 5, if you pray. And He doesn't say in verse 15, if you fast. He, he doesn't use that language. He's talking to His disciples. And He's certain of it. He says, first of all, when you give to the poor. When you give to someone in need. Verse 2. So this is a given that we're going to be doing this. This is why I was so excited about what we're doing as a church. This Thanksgiving. Wow! This is this is what Jesus would do. In fact, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus is talking about this subject. In fact, just search, the, do, do a word search, the word poor, and read everything that the New Testament teaches about. It's amazing. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a dinner, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will repay you by inviting you back. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, then at the resurrection of the godly, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. He talks about giving to those that are poor. Listen to the preaching of John the Baptist. This is Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. John the Baptist was preaching. 
Verse 7 says, Here's a sample of John's preaching to the crowds that came for baptism. He said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from God's coming judgment? Listen to verse 8. Prove by the way you live that you have really turned from your sins and turned to God. He talked about God's judgment coming. The axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever your roots. And the crowd asked, What should we do? They were rocked by his preaching. They said, You're that's me. You're talking. What do I need to do? Listen to what he said. As a proper response. Now, verse 8 prove by the way you live that you've really turned from your sins. How do we do that? How do we prove that we've really turned from our sins? He answers. John, the crowd asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two coats, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. He said, that's how you prove that you've truly repented. Turn from your sin and that you're a Christ follower. Now let me just pause and freeze frame and say this. Listen, we believe and we know this. We're saved not by good works. We understand that. We're saved for good works. That's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, prove by you live the, by the way you live that you turn from your sins. How do we do that? If you have two coats, give one to the poor, and if you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Jesus, all of us are aware of this. Jesus at the Last Supper. Remember, he, he, he turned to Judas and he, he said, whatever you do, do quickly. Remember that? And Judas got up and he left. And, and the, the Scripture records this. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for food or to give some money to the poor. In other words, helping the poor was such a... It was such a part of the daily ritual and lifestyle of Jesus that when Judas... Now this was... The, this was we call it the Last Supper... This was the Passover meal. This was a national holiday. This would be like being together as a family Christmas Eve and a member of the family leaving. If you left the, the family Christmas party on Christmas Eve, would your family automatically assume mom or dad must be going out to help somebody that's poor and in need? No, they'd probably assume they're going to QD because they forgot something, right? Or they're going to Myers or what? That's what we would know. Do we, do we get the, the, the amazing gravity of what the Scripture tells us? This was so much a part of Jesus, they assumed Judas was going to help the poor. I said to my wife, I said, Honey, when I leave the house, do you think the kids would ever assume that I was going to help somebody in need? And you know, we kind of chuckled about it. But I have to tell you, I feel like I am, my, my forehead is in the crosshairs of the Holy Spirit as I'm reading Scripture and, and looking at the example of Jesus Christ. And I have to be the first to admit to, to the, the, the service for true, fully committed followers of Jesus Christ Saturday night. Can I have a transparent moment? I have failed in this aspect of my Christ following. I've done a lot of great things. I've helped a number of people. But this is not nearly as much a part of my life as it's going to be from this day forward. My wife and I are already talking about ways that we can secretly touch people's lives and make a difference in their lives because of the example of Jesus. This was foundational. It was part of His. It was a secret 
of his success. And he's trying to transmit that to his followers. Can you say amen tonight? Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Now I've got to hurry because I've got to get to two more mountains tonight. We're talking about secret giving. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. You remember Zacchaeus, the short guy in the tree. Remember that story? And Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to go to your house for lunch today. And the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot else other than Zacchaeus responded and he said, Jesus, I'm going to give half of all my wealth to the poor. And if I've ripped anybody off, I'm going to give them back fourfold. You remember what Jesus said about that? He said, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. There again, we read that it was a mark of true salvation. Giving and generosity to the poor. See, John the Baptist didn't say, if you have extra give. Well, essentially, that's what he said. He said, if you have two coats, give one of them. He didn't say, if you have extra food. He said, if you have food, share it. In other words, we don't wait till we're making $100,000 a year and have surplus. This becomes a regular part of our life. Why? Because Jesus told the truth when He said it's more blessed to what? It's more blessed to give. God wants us to experience the richness of blessing. And so he sets this as an example for us to follow in his footsteps. Poke your neighbor and say he's talking about you. Let me, let me uh, tell you about some extraordinary people, that, that uh, one in particular that I met just a couple weeks ago. I have some dear friends that inspire me in this area. They buy food in bulk. They buy food in, in such bulk, they buy it by the pallet. And they are actively providing food supplementally to six different churches that are feeding the homeless in inner city Detroit. And I went with my friend uh, a couple weeks ago to do a food drop at one of the churches. It's called, the name of the church is My Brother's Keeper. Isn't that a beautiful name for a church? And this church, you know, the, the, the attendance is only about 90, but they, they are housing the homeless, they are mentoring youth, and they are feeding the poor and the needy in the immediate area. And I met a young man by the name of Ryan, who is an extraordinary young man. He has he started a, a non-profit organization. He graduated uh, with his business degree. And instead of pursuing business, he is the youth pastor at this church, and he founded a nonprofit organization called Shelters of Love. He's working to provide permanent housing for homeless veterans. And I asked him, I said, I said, I was asking him about the church, and I said, How many at your beautiful sanctuary? I said, How many people attend here? And he said, About 75 to 90 on Sunday. But then this is what he said that rocked me. He said, But that's not what we're known for. He said, We're known for helping the homeless and feeding the poor. And I'll tell you what, it was like somebody hit me with a two-by-four when he said that. I said, wow, we need to learn something from this young man and this church. Because in Christendom today, in churches, how do we measure success? It's by how many people are sitting in the pews on Sunday morning. Can somebody say hello? Right? He says, we're not known for that. We're known, if I could paraphrase, we're known 
for doing what Jesus told us to do. Wow, that's why I'm excited that we are ministering to and blessing this community tangibly during Thanksgiving. That's exciting to me. We have an opportunity right now to act on what Jesus taught. Oh, I've got to keep moving. Okay. Uh, we talked about secret giving. Secondly, secret praying. Jesus said again, verse 5, When you pray. Can we be honest? Listen, many, many believers, many Christ followers, they view this area of prayer, again, as something that is a duty, something that is laborious. It, it's, it's something that I, I have to do and I have to check the box. But it doesn't have to be that. And I, I don't see that in the life of Jesus Christ. So what does the prayer life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ look like? See, prayer... There are many aspects to prayer. But, but fundamentally, prayer is communion and communication. Prayer is not monologue. Prayer is dialogue. And in any healthy relationship, communication is foundational. It's fundamental. And Jesus is talking about secret praying. Go into your closet. Pray in secret. And your Heavenly Father... Don't you get the sense that the Heavenly Father is just itching to reward you? Don't you get that sense from the text? I mean, after all, Jesus said it five times that the Father wants to reward you. So secret praying. Oswald Chambers said this about prayer. I love this quote. He said, Oh, that we would learn to fling the doors wide open to God first thing in the morning talking about God and, and to allow Him in. He says, When we don't, when we fail to do that, we work on a wrong level all day long. And when we do... Every private thing we do in public will be stamped by the presence of God. Doesn't that sound awesome? That's what we want. That's what secret prayer, following Jesus into the closet, will do in our lives. I have a dear friend of mine that pastors a church in Maryland. Nobody in his congregation knows this. He stays up all night Saturday night just in prayer and worship and seeking God so that when he goes into the pulpit he has literally spent all night and he said this to me years ago he said John I do this because of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus said if I will seek him in secret he'll reward me openly and I'm believing him to reward me openly on Sunday morning with the tangible presence of God and the anointing that will break the yoke and that will bring true life to the people that I minister to now that's somebody that's taking the words of Jesus seriously. Having said that, does that mean that you're just a mediocre Christian if you don't stay up? Listen, I'm the first to say, I love you all, but I didn't stay up all night Friday night, okay? I didn't do that. All right. So that's not the measure of true Christianity. That's just a man who's taking Jesus at His word. Are you listening tonight? All right. Secret prayer. Jesus taught on prayer. Jesus illustrated prayer and Jesus modeled prayer. First of all, He taught on prayer and we read this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. He said, pray this way. 
And I just got done saying, don't, don't pray with vain repetition. So it's not some prayer that's a magic incantation that we just repeated a million times a day. It's a pattern. First of all, up, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Secondly, down, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Next, it's out. Uh, uh, or, or rather, it's, it's in. And, uh, and we say... Give us this day our daily bread. Then it's out. Forgive us as we forgive others and lead us not into temptation. And then it's back up. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That's a pattern for prayer. So he, he taught the pattern. He illustrated prayer. John chapter 15 is a beautiful chapter that you're familiar with where he's, he talks about the vine-branch relationship. You remember that. That is a picture of, of relationship. And it's a picture of prayer. Jesus was talking... In John chapter 15, he says, I'm the vine, my father's the gardener. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. If you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, or if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask anything you want and it will be done for you. Verse 8 says in the, in the, the New Living Translation, my true disciples produce much fruit. This brings great glory to my Father. In other words, fruitfulness in prayer is something that brings great glory to the Heavenly Father. So Jesus talks about secret giving. He talks about secret praying. And that this vine branch relationship and our prayer life is something that produces wonderful fruit to the glory of God. So Jesus taught on it. He illustrated it in this vine branch relationship. And then He modeled it. You can't read the Gospels and not see that Jesus was a man that lived a life of prayer. He lived in communion with His Father. I mean, He was in tune. Luke 22.39 says, He came out and He proceeded as was His custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed Him. Think about it. Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be the night that He betrayed Him. Why? Because Jesus said, Hey, in a staff meeting, I'm going to be at the Mount of Olives Friday night. No. It's because He went there so regularly that Judas knew exactly where He was going to be. Right? Think about this further. I'm just going to drop this as a thought. Remember Jesus in the garden that night, the night He was betrayed. He was in great agony. He was he, Three different times He prayed, and then He went back to His disciples who were doing what? Right? And He said, Can't you tarry an hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into what? Temptation. He said, The Spirit is willing... But the flesh is weak. I want you to think about this. Jesus spent time praying in the garden. The disciples spent time sleeping in the garden. The disciples denied Jesus and utterly failed. Are you listening? Jesus prayed in the garden and successfully fulfilled destiny. You see the difference? This is Jesus. This is the one we follow. This is a secret to success. Secret giving. Secret praying. We have to keep moving. Oh, i got good stuff, but I don't have time. All right. 
Let's go to the third mountaintop. Secret fasting. This is everybody's favorite subject. Fasting. Oh, preacher, don't talk to me about giving in prayer, but don't talk to me about fasting. Well, just, just to touch on it, listen, there's, there's wrong views of fasting. Many people think fasting is about gaining favor with God. Listen, no. God, God is this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting is all about changing us. And, and, and God using us to be a channel of His power, His miracle working, delivering power into circumstances and situations. That's what fasting is all about. Fasting humbles us. Fasting changes us. Fasting strengthens us, even though physically we grow weaker. Spiritually we grow stronger. And fasting releases miracle power and results. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 17, you remember after the Mount of Transfiguration, He was up there and Elijah and you know the prophets and, 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 and Peter wants to build houses and Jesus tells them to basically shut up. And they come down off of the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's a demon-possessed young man. And the disciples were unable to, to, to bring, that, bring freedom to that, to that young boy. And Jesus ministered to that young boy and he was set free. And then afterwards, the disciples had the sense to ask Jesus, how come we could... He said, because this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus told us something about Jesus fasting. Jesus prayed and He fasted. And that's why He had great power to do miracles. Not just because He was the Son of God. Yes, He was the Son of God. But see, you and I as sons and daughters of God will walk in great power and see miracle results when we follow in His footsteps. Are you listening tonight? Can you say amen? It's true. God wants us to experience miracle power. Esther and the Jews were delivered through fasting. Nehemiah saw success through fasting. Jehoshaphat, we, we looked at him a few weeks ago, and Judah were divinely protected as a result of fasting. Daniel was able to interpret dreams as a result of fasting. Paul and, and uh, excuse me, Paul and Barnabas were, were released into ministry, and Paul launched out on his missionary career as a result of a season of fasting. Fasting will bring miracle results and benefits to your life. We don't have time to look at all of it, but write this down. Isaiah 58 is an entire chapter about fasting. And I want to invite you to read Isaiah 58, and I want you to just read the benefits of fasting. I've highlighted them. Let me just touch on them, and then we're going to close. God talks about an unacceptable fast, and He talks about an acceptable fast. And then these are the results of, of fasting properly. Verse 8, if you do these things, if you fast in this proper way, the Word of God says, your salvation will come like the dawn, your healing will come quickly, your godliness will lead you forward, the glory of the Lord will protect you. Anybody interested in that? Wow! That's good stuff. When you call, the Lord will answer, yes, here I am, He will quickly reply. These are results of fasting. Verse 10, your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as day. Have you ever been in a difficult spot and didn't know what to do? Prayer and fasting will illuminate darkness in your life. The Lord will guide you continually 
watering your life when you are dry and keeping you healthy too. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-overflowing spring. Your children will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you'll be known as people who rebuild their walls and their cities. Wow. Those are some amazing benefits of fasting. So there you have the, the, the three mountaintops. Keeping secrets. Secret giving. Secret praying. And secret fasting. Three indispensable disciplines of a disciple. The root of disciple is discipline. And we're talking about being fully devoted followers of Jesus. Those are disciples or disciplined ones. These must become more a part of our lives. Let me ask three personal inventory questions tonight as we close. Warren, you can come. The worship team can come. In this area of secret giving, ask yourself this question. Do I have a reputation of consistently giving to the needy? Not, not church, not community, me personally. Do I have a reputation? Is this a part, is this a pattern in my life? Yes or no? And if not, why not? And, and if not, what am I going to do this week to make this intentionally more a part of my life? Okay? Secret giving. Secret praying. Have I cultivated a fruitful, enjoyable, private prayer life if not, why not? And what's one thing that I will do this week to grow in this area of my life? I want you to think about that. And do more than think about it. I want you to, I want you to answer that question. And by God's grace, step out and do it. And then in the area of fasting. How and when will I build fasting into my life as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ so that we can open ourselves up to the miraculous. Following Jesus into the closet. Next Sunday we're going to talk about following Him into the octagon. It's going to get physical. But it's going to be exciting next week. Let's just... Uh, can we just have a word of prayer? Or, or Actually, Warren, you, you lead us in worship. And then we'll close in prayer, okay? Would you stand with me?